This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. We are in for a treat with this next episode. I am diving deep with therapist, mind-body medicine researcher, and author Michelle Campbellis to talk about anxiety. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health illness in the U.S., and a 2017 Gallup report stated that collectively the world is more stressed, worried, sad, and in pain today than we have ever seen it. Michelle is the clinical director of Harborside Counseling Center and Chi Kids, a beautiful resource for children and families who are struggling with mental health concerns. Her work has been featured in countless publications, including Today's Parent, Goop, The Huffington Post, and so much more. What I personally love about Michelle is that everything she teaches is research-based and rooted in science, but she's also a Buddhist and a vegan who believes strongly in our ability to self-heal. Her ability to help clients lead a more consciously healthy life through a combination of proven Western and Eastern practices truly makes her one of a kind, and we are honored to have her here today. Thank you so much for being here, Michelle. I am beyond excited to dive into this crazy world of anxiety with you. Can you start off by sharing a little bit about your own path and what led you to becoming a therapist and a mind-body health practitioner? Yeah, absolutely, Erin. And thank you so much for having me on. It's my deepest pleasure. You know, that's a great question because I think our life just unfolds as it should. And certainly every experience that we have really informs us into all of the learnings. And not unlike a lot of people in the helping field, my upbringing did a lot to nudge me into becoming a therapist. We definitely seek out what we most need in terms of healing. I grew up in a family system of mental illness and and trauma. My brother was extremely mentally ill and eventually diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And I can remember from the age of six, I was really young when I first had this awareness that I both feared him and deeply wanted to help him. So from a very young age, it was a deep desire to try and eliminate or minimize suffering. And so when I, you follow the whole path of my, my childhood, there, there there's many occurrences and traumatic experiences that formed me and brought me towards this desire to understand and grow and self-heal and help others to do the same. And you do such an incredible job of that. Now, somewhere along the line, you tapped into Buddhism. I'm so curious to know how that has had an impact and helped shape who you are today and the tools that you use and the woman that you are. So (laughs) when I was young, my safe place was the library. So I would go and I would just pour through books and magazines. And so it was a very protected space for me. And it was a way to be out of the house where I could find some refuge. And as I was in the library seeking refuge, I found a book called The Hermit. 
And it was a book about a Buddhist monk. So much of what I read made sense to me and soothed me and gave me some understanding as to not only why human beings suffer, but also the path to rise above suffering. And so I started really a Buddhist practice way back then. And it supported me deeply, you know, through my own history of experiencing trauma, but also because of genetic loading. And we're talking about anxiety today. I went from a little kid who was really quite confident to one that had debilitating panic attacks. I mean, I couldn't put up my hand in class. I couldn't speak in front of crowds. I became quite socially isolated. And the panic attacks became so severe that at one point, my muscles seized. The muscles in my hands and my face contracted and seized, and I thought that I was having a stroke. So it was that point that I really turned into support and really began a path of deeply researching, understanding, and you know, developing whatever awareness that I could into the reasons why we experience anxiety. And the Buddhist practice also certainly um, was a big part of that process for me. Your journey truly did lead you to where you are now. And I think that's why you have such an incredible ability to do what you do is because you connect so deeply to this conversation and you understand these topics of pain and and how this can show up in our life today. As some of you who are listening may or may not know, I have struggled with anxiety on and off for most of my life. And sometimes it's very manageable. Sometimes it's not there at all. And sometimes it can be quite debilitating too. So I completely resonate when you talk about the panic attacks and that feeling of anxiety. It is completely overwhelming and it has a huge impact on our ability to to live fully and come into ourselves and to to show up in a way that feels really good in life. So thank you for sharing a piece of your story and sort of how that guided you to where you are now. I'm curious to know what is anxiety from a scientific perspective and also sort of how would you differentiate the scientific perspective from more of a spiritual standpoint? You know, I love that you aren't separating mind, body, and spirit because truly we can't look at a human being in these discrete parts without losing something extremely valuable. So when we look at ourselves and each other as whole beings, we're really understanding more more deeply. From a, a physical perspective, anxiety is really caused by an imbalance and an imbalance in the in the sympathetic nervous system. And the mind-body system reaches a place where it's constantly responding to perceived threat. And your fight or flight response is in high drive. And through that, there's a, a surge in hormones like adrenaline and cortisol triggering your body to basically be on the defense. So I mean, the thing with that is usually your stress response is self-limiting. So once a perceived threat is passed, the hormone levels return to normal. But with anxiety, the turnoff valve gets hijacked. And so you feel constantly under attack and the fight or flight reaction just becomes debilitating. So, you know, these are the physical realities. And then, you know, long-term, the effect on our health 
and even our lifespan is is really significant and worrisome. But you know, anxiety is also psychospiritual, so that that's incredibly important to talk about. What do you mean when you say psychospiritual? Well, you know, we've lost this sacred natural rhythm that once was, and we're more externally driven than ever before. We're more hurried. We're more worried. And lifestyles have changed drastically. And and without a life practice that promotes rest, self-awareness, connection, and gives us the space to metabolize trauma, we can't fully be well and anxiety will continue to exist. So, you know, I think that the antidote is a collective change in consciousness. We really are being called to look at the choices that we're making on a moment-to-moment basis in our life and our lifestyle in particular. And I think we're seeing this at the levels of anxiety, the levels of depression, the levels of stress in general at an all-time high right now. And I'm sure you know, so many of your clients are <laughs> coming in to see you because this is impacting their life at this point. It's not working for us anymore. It impacts everybody. No one is immune to this collective culture of anxiety. We're calling this the age of anxiety. There are many factors, the surge in technology, increase in distraction. Our brains are trying to process and metabolize all of this information. We cannot evolve to the rate that technology is evolving. So it's incredibly demanding for our mind-body system. And add to that, we're also in a culture of sociopolitical trauma that we face every day, new and extreme problems. So no one is immune. No, absolutely not. Now, that being said, when we live in this world with technology and jobs that demand us to be attached, and this is a major form of communication these days, and the reality of many people's lives is that they're super busy, are we supposed to just move to like some remote <laughs> place to shut off of everything in order to recalibrate? Or are there smaller ways that we can start to shift ourselves back to a place where we're not suffering so much? That's the point exactly. It's about shifting back to a gentler state of being, a gentler way of being. And while we have to live within the context that we're given, that we're raising ourselves in, there are all kinds of practices that can give us what we need in order to calm our limbic system and clear the space for an internal life of well-being so that we're balancing the internal and the external. Okay, I want to dive into some of those tangible tools so that our listeners can really leave this podcast with some tools to help them. But before we do that, I would love to just quickly touch on the different types of anxiety because anxiety feels very different for everyone from what I understand. But there are also some main categories of anxiety that people tend to be affected with? Great questions. Yeah. So under the umbrella of anxiety disorder, there are clusters of symptoms that um, fall into subcategories like panic disorder, agoraphobia, specific phobia, social anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and so on. Here's what I want to say about that. If you feel more anxious than you know to be healthy, 
it's worth addressing regardless of whether or not a doctor thinks that you fall into some kind of diagnostic category. You know when you're suffering and that shouldn't be ignored. And if it is, reach out to someone else and keep reaching out until you're heard because anxiety comes in all kinds of different forms and it may not fit into what Western medicine deems an anxiety disorder, which in that case is then taken seriously. So touch into your own, own well-being and determination to be the most expansive version of yourself. I love that. And I, I know that you have actually an online anxiety quiz to kind of help people, give people some guidance, especially if you're not feeling particularly in touch with your body and you're not sure if it's normal or not normal. We'll include the link to Michelle's quiz in our show notes so you can pop on there. That will give you a little bit of guidance. Michelle, if people aren't sure if they're really feeling out of touch with, is this just normal? Like, for example, I feel like a lot of my friends who are moms have a lot of worry about their kids and about finances and about marriage. And and so what are some signs or some symptoms that you would be looking out for that would show you that maybe this is a little bit more serious than just the norm? Worry is really the cognitive form of anxiety. So worry is the thought form that goes hand in hand with anxiety. Really, that's a pretty significant indication that you're, you're feeling anxious. If you're constantly worrying, having racing thoughts or rigid thinking patterns and struggling with mental flexibility, those are symptoms of anxiety. The emotional symptoms are often more clear, fear, panic, Often depression goes hand in hand with anxiety. They tend to travel together. And in terms of physical symptoms, look for muscle tension, aches and pains, headaches, dizziness, stomach aches, digestive problems tend to go hand in hand with anxiety. But you might also experience extreme tiredness or insomnia. It can affect your sleeping patterns. Look for panic, rapid heartbeat, irritability, shakiness tingliness in your hands or your feet. Those are some of the, the physical factors that are, that are quite common to those that are, are facing anxiety. What are some of the health implications of having prolonged anxiety? Long-term exposure to cortisol and stress hormones and, and all the implications of, of stress disrupts almost every aspect of your body's functioning, and, and it puts you at increased risk for all kinds of health problems. In fact, it's been said that three out of four doctor's visits are likely due to anxiety-related illnesses. So we're talking about, wow. yeah, it's, it's, it's astounding, uh, digestive disorders, auto, autoimmune disorders, chronic pain, heart disease, weight gain, memory impairment, problems with cognitive functioning can all at its root be tracked to the effects of anxiety. Anxiety is highly treatable. It's the most treatable of all mental health challenges. In fact, with treatments like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very low risk, the symptoms can go away in about 85% of cases. And yet people wait on average 10 years before they get treatment because with anxiety, the symptoms are so intrinsic. I waited 15 years before my anxiety disorder was named, identified, and then treated because no one knew. It's silent. 
No one can see that you're in a state of panic. No one can see that your heart is racing and that you're having illogical thinking patterns. No one can see that you're plagued with negative irrational beliefs about yourself. Yeah, it is absolutely an invisible illness. And it can be really hard for friends and family who have not experienced anxiety to understand how it is different than just being stressed out or how it is different than just over worrying. And I feel like sometimes there's this concept that you can just start flipping your negative thoughts into positive ones when you have anxiety and, you know, do do a little bit of deep breathing and take a bath and that will get rid of it when really it can take a lot more. And those are all important things to do. But there's still a baseline that needs to be treated before any of those other things will really become effective. Can you touch a little bit more on treatments for anxiety and where people should go if they're experiencing it? Well, the the typical treatments that are recommended, and your GP will go straight to psychotropic medication. I take a stepladder approach. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is incredibly effective well-researched and valuable to anyone who's struggling with anxiety. And it really involves working with your thinking mind and the connection between your thinking mind and your emotional and physiological state. So it really teaches people the tools and the skills to be able to transform the patterns within their mind-body system, which is incredibly empowering. But I also look at other areas like diet and nutrition. So often, really simple step-by-step shifts in our nutrition, in our sleep quality, in our activity levels can make a massive difference in terms of our stress levels. We start by weaning off of stimulants. I mean, if you've ever weaned off of coffee, sugar, or alcohol, you know that it can be life-changing in terms of minimizing anxiety and clearing the mind. And it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a really effective first step for many. And then we also look at stabilizing blood sugar because so often we're going for long periods of time without eating or eating simple carbohydrates or, or sugars, which sends us on a whole pattern, a roller coaster within our body, within the blood sugar levels that sends us into panic. And so another really simple a way to start addressing anxiety is to eat regularly and eat protein about every three hours. So we start by really looking at the basics of how am I eating? Am I rested? Am I getting enough sleep? Do I need some supplements? So, you know, often people with anxiety have deficiencies and vitamin B, vitamin C, and thiamine, magnesium, getting some blood work done to see whether or not there might be a physical reason for anxiety is really the first step before I recommend something like an SSRI medication. 95% of people will go to their GP and their GP will want to solve it in the way that they know best, which is medication. And when you're struggling of course you want that quick fix. And medication has its place and it can be incredibly helpful. But what it misses is the underlying reason. What it misses is the lifestyle factors, the trauma, the back history, the deep-seated emotional reasons that may be contributing. 
and the many other layers in between. So while we want to be able to turn to medication as needed, and sometimes medication can can really give an assist in terms of accessing those tools and those skills to be able to get better, it's only one piece. And it's not the most important piece. Right. Honestly, every single person that we've talked to on this podcast (laughs) has referenced the fact that they have used a therapist to help them get through various things that they've had to overcome in their own life. It is, if you can find somebody who is a good fit for you, it is monumentally helpful in creating that life that you want to create for yourself. Well, the right fit is critical and we're all different, you know, just as uh, therapists work in a variety of different ways, personalities vary incredibly. And so not everyone is going to be the right fit for you. And I agree taking the time to interview people and shop around a little bit is a good idea. Just like you wouldn't marry the first person that you date. <laughs> you know, <laughs> your therapist is your guide and will help you to journey into yourself and journey into your soul. So there has to be an intuitive fit. And most people know right away whether or not they can imagine working with a therapist that they're meeting with. And on that note, we will be right back after a word from this episode's sponsor. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. 
Today's episode is brought to you by K-Pure Naturals. Created by a mom of four, K-Pure products are all natural, non-toxic, and ethically sourced so you know you are only putting the best of the best on your body. Their drenched, whipped face and body butter is absolutely to die for, and lately I've been using their Rose Quartz Facial Roller and Gua Sha Tools in the evening as part of my bedtime routine. The Overachiever Balm and Sleepy Time Baby Wash are also favorites. I honestly can't say enough good things about this company. I absolutely love them. And I'm so excited because they're giving our listeners 20% off all purchases on their site when you visit kpurenaturals.com and use the discount code RAW20. You can also find them over on Instagram at kpurenaturals. Now let's get back to the show. You were talking about diet and reducing the number of stimulants that we have as we are recovering from anxiety or moving away from it. I'm curious to know, is it our worrying mind that drives the fight or flight response in our body? Or can things like an upset stomach or caffeine create a fight or flight response without worry being attached to it? Like, is it always mind to body or can it ever be body to mind? It can absolutely be body to mind. And I'll give you a personal example. I had an injury last August. I was in a a yoga class and held um, a back bend for too long. And I ended up stripping the nerve fibers along the front of my neck where the ganglia are. And the ganglia, it's connected to your fight or flight response. So I injured myself quite severely. And what I ended up experiencing was progressive debilitating panic, like PTSD panic. And as I worked with, and I mean, I have my whole team when I need, and as I was working with my naturopath, I discovered that that injury triggered an opening to very old trauma connected to being, you know, being attacked. So it created this opening to be able to process old stuff that I had been holding for 25 years. And trauma is held in every cell of your body, in particular held in certain areas where we can be quite prone to inflammation. So all of those injuries provide a portal to discover where we need to heal if you work with it and if you are willing to do that deep dive with somebody. So that's an incredibly powerful thing. It's fascinating. And it it really does, I think, when we change our perspective of anxiety and do exactly what you just said, sort of shift to this mindset of our anxiety being a portal to dig deeper into ourself and to do that deep healing work that needs to happen, anxiety can become quite a powerful tool. I know for myself that when my anxiety pops up, that's a big sign that things aren't as balanced in my life as they need to be, that I'm not taking care of myself from a physical standpoint. (laughs) I've usually stopped exercising. I'm not eating as well or as consistently, not drinking as much water, not addressing areas of my life where maybe I need to dig into or solve. And so it's a big, beautiful flag or reminder that I need to back things up and get things back on track. And so I have less fear around anxiety now, now that I have the tools. You've done a really beautiful job at beginning to really listen to the wisdom behind the anxiety and also trust that all of those symptoms, there's a deep wisdom to those symptoms and they're informing you. 
and letting you know where you need to pay attention. And now you're paying attention. So the anxiety doesn't get so loud because you, you start listening before it's yelling at you. And there's another piece to this. You know, anxiety is really living in a fear-based, future-focused life. So when we start to cultivate a life practice where we, you know, discover the magic of being in the moment and discover that we can, with each breath, bring ourselves to our real place of power and well-being, which is present time, then there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to be anxious about. But when we are constantly looking towards what may or may not go wrong in the future, then that cultivates and exacerbates the suffering that anxiety is. And how would you recommend that people practice bringing themselves back into the present? Mm. Well, your breath is constantly available to you and will always transport you back into present time moment. The practice is so simple and so difficult at the same time <laughs> because, because it really means mindfully bringing your attention to this question of, am I aware? And if I'm aware, what am I aware of? And can I be aware of that from a place of non-judgment? So as you draw your awareness to the present moment, you might be aware of thoughts, thought forms. You might be aware of emotion. You might be aware of sensations in your body. So as you bring your attention to a, an awareness of those human experiences, can you simply notice without labeling it as good or bad or wanted or unwanted, but really accept it tenderly and then let it go? and move into the next breath and the next point of awareness. And this is something that you teach and you have a, a meditation course that I have been lucky enough to join in on. And, and so much of this, it really truly is a practice. We have to practice now how to just breathe and be in our body and to not judge the thoughts that we have because we've gone so far in the other direction but it it is something that you get I want, I don't want to say better and better at but you do you get more and more comfortable with it mm -hmm. and meditation seems to be very intimidating for a lot of people it's uncomfortable because our life has become so externally focused. There was a really interesting research study that came out of Case Western Reserve University, and they, they really wanted to examine the difference over time in terms of our internal and external locus of control. And so they looked at this compilation of data they, that they had been collecting from the 50s. What they discovered is this, we are 80% more externally focused now than we were in the 50s and 60s. So that basically means that our perception of our well-being is based on how much money we have, what we look like, how well-known we might be, affluence, all of the physical forms, as opposed to our spirituality, our connection, our relationships, our creativity, our politics, our personal value systems. And at the same time as we've become 80% more externally driven, anxiety and depression has gone up exponentially. 
Because, I mean, if you think about it this way, if my well-being is connected to the external, then how I'm feeling on a moment-to-moment basis is really out of my control, and I'm pretty powerless. But if instead we turn inward and discover that our place of well-being is truly within, that's where we can lie in our own goodness and in our own well-being. That is beautiful and so powerful and so interesting with those stats to back it up because I think so many of us are feeling that external drive, feeling especially from social media and this constant flow of images that we have that pull us outward and into the lives of people we don't even know that we have likely never meet. (laughs) And all of a sudden... You know, our universe has become so much bigger in that sense as to how many people we can connect to, but in a very superficial way. It's a very false intimacy. Without eye contact and tone of voice and the ability to just read all of those intrinsic human communication signals, we become very, very lonely, isolated people. And we're social animals. You know, that is our true nature. So without deep connection, which is such a feminine quality, you know, when you look at the, you know, the power of the feminine, our gift is in cultivating connection. And so, you know, as we kind of let go of this drive to do, do, do just a little bit, just a little bit, what it opens up is the ability to foster the thing that is going to heal our human family. And that's unity and connection. Hmm. All right. So Michelle, we're going to cut to some questions from the Raw Beauty audience. The first one is a really great question. And I just want to preface all of this by saying that I'm not going to mention individuals' names for this specific episode. Often we mention who asked the question, but I, I didn't have a chance to check in with everyone to see who was comfortable with me, including their names. So we're not going to do that this time. The first one is though, how do I know when I can go off my anti-anxiety medication? That is such a great question. And it's something that I get asked a lot because of course, as soon as you start to feel symptom-free, the automatic urge is to want to go off medication. But the general guideline is to wait about six months after being symptom-free to titrate down and give your body the time to really adjust and start to balance out from a neurochemical standpoint on its own. And then when you are ready to titrate down, make sure that you're working really closely with your doctor. It's really important to not go off any medication uh, without their support and supervision. Take it slow. Don't rush it. While you might really want to be medication-free, your neurological system really does need the time to adjust as it's titrating up on medication, but also once you're titrating down. And I feel like there's a fear that anti-anxiety medication really masks things and that it's almost like a band-aid that you put on. When you go off of the medication, is it normal to experience a dip in mood or more anxiety again? Or you know, should your body be back to normal, essentially? 
Well, it really varies, but if you're titrating down and you notice that your symptoms are really coming back in a strong way, what it usually means is that your body actually really requires the support of that medication. And it's not that you're necessarily addicted to the medication. It's really just that your symptoms are coming back because your neurological system you know, requires a little extra support. Gotcha. So will most people experience that or are some people able to go on the anxiety medication and come off of it and feel pretty symptom free again? It's like almost like their body learns how to produce the right hormones and chemicals again from being on the medication. That's exactly it. That's the idea that when we go on, for example, an SSRI medication, it's providing the support to the neurological system so that it begins to reuptake serotonin in a healthy, balanced way on its own. So when you titrate down, um, you really should be fairly symptom free. Gotcha. So it's not like the SSRI is just stepping in and taking over for your body so that it never learns or has to reignite that system again. It's actually teaching it how to run effectively and to run properly. Super interesting. Okay, let's jump into the next question. Do you have any tips to help someone with anxiety fall asleep and stay asleep? And this person's also wondering, do weighted blankets actually help anxiety? I I personally love weighted blankets and and they can really help soothe the the limbic system. So I think they're well worth trying. Um, Not everyone loves them, but there's something about the heaviness that is calming to our neurological system. Absolutely give it a try. You might also look at um, your magnesium levels. Increasing your magnesium can really uh, help support your sleep life. Try slow-release melatonin. Lavender oil is well-proven to support sleep and calm the limbic system. Cut out caffeine after 1.30 and, of course, turn off technology about an hour before sleep. But there's another piece that we often forget. I mean, that recommendation list or that grocery list of, of things that will support your sleep life. But the one piece that we often forget about is easing into sleep life. So often we expect our brain to shut off after a busy day, but when we create this space in between and gently prime our mind for sleep, it learns to settle down on its own. So, you know, think about that in between time where we dim the lights and slow our brain system down and give it those cues and messages so that it understands what we want it to do. Do you think our addiction to screen time has an impact on our stress levels and on our anxiety? There's no question that the increase in technology and screen time has affected our sleep life. In fact, in North America, we're really experiencing a sleep epidemic. And on average, adults are getting one hour less sleep than we need. And the health risks that are connected to that are endless. And I personally believe that if we were to solve all of the sleep disorders and sleep problems and ensure that everyone was getting ample sleep, which is so critical to brain health, that the number of anxiety disorders would go down substantially. 
Interesting. So log out of that phone, give your brain a little time to settle down, to disconnect, and create a really beautiful sleep ritual to help you transition into that next stage of your day. I love that. Last but not least, do you have any tools you would recommend to help immediately when anxiety strikes or if I'm in the middle of a panic attack or I can't seem to stop that cycle of worrying? Yes. Your breath is the most powerful tool that you have to self-soothe. Breathing low and slow sends a message to your brain and it triggers the parasympathetic nervous system so that it releases calming, feel-good neurochemicals. It is like flipping a switch. So try square breathing in particular. It involves breathing in for five, holding for five, breathing out for five, and again, holding for five. If you do that cycle repeatedly for you know five or 10 minutes, then you're supporting your brain system in a really immediate and powerful way. But the trick here is to use that method during non-anxious times as well. So often we expect that we're going to implement a tool during a moment of panic and that it's going to be useful and work right away. And then when it doesn't, we abandon it. But yet, if you practice and you utilize that tool throughout the day, not only will it work in the moment, but it'll prevent these heightened anxious times in the first place. And I can attest personally to the fact that this works. I started using this tool in the middle of having the most extreme panic attacks that literally I felt like I was dying. And once I started using this and incorporating it as soon as I felt anything coming on in regards to worry or stress, I was able to get my panic attacks completely under control. And it is so simple. There is no cost associated with it. You can access it at any time. So practice that square breathing throughout the day if you're anybody who has anxiety. And I think that is one major tool that everyone can add to their tool belt from this episode. I would love to jump into some a true or myth questions about anxiety. Okay. All right. Question number one. If you have anxiety, you will have it for life. That is a big false. Anxiety is highly treatable. And in fact, it's the most treatable of all mental health challenges. It is definitely not a life sentence. So please know that if you're struggling with anxiety, there are so many different ways that you can be well supported towards your highest state of well-being. True or false, anxiety symptoms are generally the same for everyone. False. So there are some typical clusters of anxiety symptoms that we've gone through, but the combination, how you experience that, and the intensity of those symptoms is different for everyone. Number three, meditation is proven to help reduce anxiety. Truth, truth, truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, meditation is age-old medicine, and and but we now have discovered that it's it's really a powerful way to decrease anxiety. It transforms the architecture of our mind. It decreases the heightening in the limbic system, mitigating the effects of stress, and. We're even finding that it restores areas of the brain that are compromised due to the stress response. So important. So important. Okay, next one. It's normal to have a little anxiety here and there. 
Yes. Anxiety is part of the natural human condition. And in fact, some anxiety can really bolster well-being. So when you have short bursts of manageable stress, it uh, strengthens your immune system and increases mm. your resiliency. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's good to know. All right. The last one. The best way to get rid of anxiety is to take medication. False. Medication is, I think, a vital treatment in cases of severe and chronic anxiety. But uh, in my books, the stepladder approach is safest, beginning with lifestyle and least intrusive measures. Michelle, if people are interested in getting in touch with you, if they have further questions, where is the best place for them to reach you? And and do you have anything exciting coming up that you want to tell people about? Yes, you can reach me at michellecambolis.com or you can find me on social media and um, always feel free to direct message me. I'm happy to um, receive people's questions and connect. We've actually created this beautiful package for mamas. It's a holistic practice of self-care. You know, moms are so busy and it's very, very hard to fit in that time for self. And so what we've done is we've created some evidence-based tools and, and approaches to um, to really bolster self-care. And that includes downloadable meditations, a conscious mothering journal, and a mantra practice. It's designed specifically for the needs of some of the most important people on our planet. <laughs> well, from one mom to another, I would like to say thank you for that because mm. I can attest to the fact that every Mama needs a little space to tune out from the world and tune in to herself. So thank you so much for being here today, Michelle. I I can't thank you enough. That's it for this episode, but be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single show. Simply search for Raw Beauty Talks on iTunes and click subscribe. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it on social tagging at Raw Beauty Talks. We'll be regramming your posts every week. Last but not least, we've created a free handout for you summarizing all of Michelle's key lessons, and you can find it in the show notes. As we wrap things up, remember, your body is different than any other body out there. So as you listen to these episodes, it's important to keep tuning back into yourself to see what really resonates for you. Above all else, remember, you are worthy, you are beautiful, and you are not alone on this incredible journey called life. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.